0: Good morning, again. Good morning. Good morning. morning. All right, let's all settle down. Settle down now. All right, good morning, good morning. All right, we're at, towards the end of this series, we're going through a series called Emerge. Uh, This is actually just a small section of the book of Luke. We're going through the book of Luke for the next few years. And right now we're focusing on chapters four through five. And today we're starting chapter five. And uh, we're calling it Emerge because before chapter 4 and 5, Jesus was kind of in the private world. Like he just had his family, you know, his, his mom and his dad. And, and now, that's chapter 4 and 5, he's kind of coming out to the public and he's emerging. His presence is being known by the people around him. So uh, that's what we're going through. And. Um, uh there's really interesting stuff that's happening. Most of you, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you're probably familiar with these stories. What I'm hoping to do is that we're trying to bring in a little depth to the stories that you guys already heard of. If you haven't heard these stories before, no worries, we're gonna go through them step by step. So uh when I was a kid uh in an elementary school, um I was not the most I know this is hard to believe, I was not the most athletic person on the playground. And the, I know, it's hard to believe, right? Um <laughs> You know, you know, uh, they do this really cruel thing where they actually make you pick teams and you have two, t- two team captains, and they're like, I'll pick that guy, I'll pick that guy. I was not the first to get picked, and, but here's the good news. I was not the last to get picked either. I was somewhere in the middle to the end, that part. you know. And um, the way that people pick teams, okay, and I've been a team captain before where I know who I want on my team, and when you pick the guy that you want, that the other guy wants, you could hear him say, oh, that's... Oh man. And then they'll say something like, okay, fine, I'll take... And you don't want to be that guy where, you know, they say, fine, I'll take, you know. Well, um, and so I started thinking about this. I'm like, when it comes to picking teams, like, how do you strategically pick teams? This is like the draft, right? If you grow up, you know, as kids, as team captains, kickball. But when you grow up, you're talking about professional sports. You want to draft the right players onto your team. And you want the best. You want the best. You want to make sure you got, you know, you have the team in, in, in line so that you got the best chance of getting the championship. Um. Sometimes I wonder about how God picks his team. Because, um, you know, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, then you're automatically on his team. And, you know, I'm wondering every morning when God wakes, well, okay, God doesn't go to sleep, doesn't wake up, but let's just say he wakes up in the morning, he rubs his eyes and looks down, you know, at all of us. I wonder if he looks at me and says, I am so glad that Kotz is on my team. Or is he the kind of guy that's like, God that's like looking at me saying like, oh, I, guess, I guess we got Kotz on the team. Or maybe that day that I decided to become a Christian, I wonder if he was like, oh no, he's praying the prayer. No, don't, don't pray the prayer. We don't want you on my team, you know. Oh, look, he's a Christian. I guess I'll take him on my team. I I wonder if that is, well, well, we know God's not like that, but sometimes I wonder, is it good that I'm on God's team, right? Or maybe, um, uh, maybe you know some Christians and you're like, they call themselves a Christian, but I really don't feel like that person really represents what I stand for, right? Maybe politically you're like, I don't really, they call themselves Christians, but I don't know if I really agree with that person. I wonder if God looks at us and says, I can't believe that guy's on our team. Like, he doesn't represent me that well. And, and But for some reason, all these people with different backgrounds, different political beliefs, different ways of looking at the world, they all belong on the same team, God's team, okay? And I'm wondering how God sees all this. I wonder if he looks at the people... they call themselves christians and they're like he's i wonder if he wakes up every morning thinking like yes that's my team yeah come on let's go do you know like or is he like i'm kind of ashamed to say that these people are on my team for me speaking personally about my life i wake up some morning thinking like oh i'm so embarrassed that that i call myself a christian sometimes i wake up in the morning thinking like last night i just made some really bad decisions I don't even know why God would even say that I'm on his team. So the question inevitably comes up in my mind, which is this. What does God see in me? Right? And now, we do our best to make sure that people around us think that we're good, you know. But we know who we are. We know our failings. We know the places we make mistakes. And if that were to get out into the public, and remember, God sees everything, right? So even though it's not in the public eye, it's in God's eye. And he looks at me, and he still says, I'm glad that Katz is on my team. What does he see in me? Is there, like, some redeeming feature of Cots that, <laughs> that somehow God's like, I'm willing to ignore all that because he's got this one good thing, you know? Now, a lot of people are like, oh, Katz, well, you're a preacher. You're supposed to, you know. Yeah. Um, preaching is a gift. It's not who I am. Okay? It's not just because you're a preacher doesn't make you into a good christian let's put it that way and we know many many stories of moral failings of pastors and that's kind of in the media right but like preaching doesn't make you a good christian right so what is it that god sees in us right your work co-workers probably know that you're a christian and then you say something that's like oh my gosh what i just said was just so racist <laughs> right and then god's what is god thinking of you at that moment what does god see in you so what I want to do before we go into Luke chapter 5 is I want to um, share with you about a character named Peter. Now, the, Peter is a character that we'll find soon, uh, soon in the book of Luke, okay? Peter has another name. His name is Simon. Peter is the name that Jesus gave him. So when we meet him in the story today, his name is Simon. And then eventually, God gives him the, Jesus gives him the name Peter. Um, and there's a reason for that. We'll talk about that later. But Simon kind of shows up in the story abruptly he just it's not like long long time ago there's a guy named Simon who used to do this and this and that he just kind of shows up in the story because the people who are reading the book of Luke already knew who Peter was so they didn't need to give him an introduction so I'm going to give you an introduction of Peter um, that you may have heard you may not have heard uh, because this stuff we're talking about today is an assumed story of the people who read the Bible meaning It's not written there explicitly, but the people who read it originally 2,000 years ago knew these things already, okay? So I'm going to catch you up with what the people who read the Bible knew already, okay? So are we we good with that? Okay, so the way that the education system worked 2,000 years ago in Israel is that they, um, they didn't have schools. They didn't have schools like an elementary school, public school like we do. It was up to the parents to make sure the kids knew how to read. It was up to the parents to make sure that they knew how to count, how to add, how to do all those things. Parents were the teachers, especially the mother. The father usually worked on his little business. So whether if you're in carpentry or if you make shoes or sandals or whatever you make back then, that was the father's business. And then for the mother was to raise the children, educate them, and to teach them how to love, et cetera, et cetera. There was a strong distinction between the two. But there was one thing that the parents were not – Um, they weren't confident enough to teach their kids and what that was was they weren't confident enough to teach what the bible said to their kids because they were like this is the word of god and i don't have the i don't have the guts you know like i might teach it wrong and this is the most important book in the world and by the way back then there was no new testament so it's just the old testament so when they say bible they're talking about just the old testament and so they're like, how am I supposed to, uh, I want to make sure that uh, I want to, how can I teach this properly? So every village had a place called a synagogue that was like the epicenter of the, of the city, city where they talked about the Bible, right? And it was usually led by the, the local rabbi. So they had a, uh, had a person who was in charge of just teaching the scriptures to kids. And they had a rule. The rule was you can't teach the kids scripture until they were age six, they didn't think that kids could understand what the scriptures were until the age of six. So here's a quote from a book called Talmud, which is like a commentary to the Old Testament. Okay, so let's take a look at that. It says this, this. Under the age of six, we do not receive a child as a pupil. So Rabbi is like, there's no way that we're going to take a student that's under the age of six because they probably don't understand what we're talking about. But look at this. From six upwards, accept him and stuff him with Torah like an ox. I love that. Just Like here you go, take the Bible shove it in, shove it in your mouth, right? <laughs> They believe that from the age from after six years old, you could learn the Bible like no one like no one 's business. They believe that the kid 's mind is like a sponge and it just absorbs everything and if you don 't believe me, talk to a six year old and tell him to recite like all the songs from an album, and i 'll guarantee you that kid would know all the words to that song. If you ask about somebody who's into sports, like what are the stats, what is the height of this player, And they'll know everything about it. I mean, memory is a pretty amazing thing. So from, the, from age 6 to about age 10, they get mentored by the local rabbi, okay? and this rabbi will teach them things, and that time of education, remember, schooling takes, takes, at home, takes place at home. When it comes to teaching scripture, that t- took place in the local synagogue. That period is called Beit Sefer. Can we take that. There we go. Beit sefer. In Hebrew, that means the house of the book. Beit means house. Sefer means book. This is, this is basically common education. It was the dream of every child to become knowledgeable in the scriptures back then. It was the dream of every parent to make sure that the kids understood the scriptures like no other. Like that was their dream, okay? So every morning, they would go to the local synagogue, and they would, the rabbi would gather the children, and they'll teach them and they'll teach him. And they specifically teach the first five books of the Old Testament, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy. That's called the Torah. And so you'll teach him and teach him teach him. And at some point, they'll even try to get him to memorize it. Now, here's the interesting thing. At this point of education, they're not allowed to interpret the scriptures. So no one in, in Bethsafer would ever say, Genesis 1-1 says this, and I think that's what that, this means. No, 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 no. They would quiz him. things. The, the type of education is basically things like if the, the rabbi will go to the student and say, now tell me all the animals in Genesis from an order of appearance. And they will go, okay. And they're like, okay, first there's this, 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 this. And he's like, okay, stop. Now I want you to recite it backwards. They'll be like, okay, that, that, this, this, and that. And they'll do that over and over and over again. It's like, in the book of Exodus, tell me every time that a currency is mentioned. And they'll say, currency is mentioned here, 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 here. Okay, now stop. Alphabetize it and now go from the top. And they'll do that. So there are, I know, these are crazy smart people they would get them to memorize the scriptures and know it inside out, not necessarily to interpret it. That comes later. Just so that they know the scriptures. That's what happened in Beth Sefer, okay? Now, by the time they're 10 years old, at this point, they have to under, like at this point, the rabbi will look at the kids and say, yeah, you guys are pretty smart. But you over here, and not so much. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sure he had a nice way of saying it, right? And so for the people who the rabbi didn't see much potential in, would say, now I want you to go home to your parents, Okay, and I want you to just focus on your family's trade, your family's business. That's the cultural context of that. Okay, so now for the students who actually did well, they'll move on to the next stage, which is called this. It's called Beit Talmud. Beit Talmud means the house of learning. At this point, the rabbi would say, "Hey, you did such a good job with the first five books of the Bible. Now I want you to memorize the rest of the Old Testament." Now, it wasn't too hard. It sounds like very hard, right? Because there's 39 books in the Old Testament, the first five books is the Torah, so there's three former books that for, the, for them to memorize. Now, it sounds hard, but it's not as hard as you think it is. I can't do it, but I'm guessing it won't be hard relatively because a lot of the things in the rest of the Old Testament are quotations from the first five books of the Bible, and they had music to go along with some of the Psalms so that it was easy for them to memorize, right? So, okay, at this point, Right, they're asked to memorize and know inside out the rest of the old testament if you are a girl remember back then there were very distinct roles if you were a girl at that time at that point they will start saying like okay the boys are going to try to memorize the old testament girls i want you to focus i want you to memorize it too but i want you to focus on the book of psalms and proverbs because once you become mothers i want you to make sure that you're able to sing to your children teach them the the wisdoms of the world and so forth very distinct roles back then okay and so they would do that kind of stuff and this by the way uh, a few months ago when we talked about mary when she found out she was pregnant with jesus she sang a song called the magnificat she quotes a lot from proverbs and psalms why because that's what she knew the best anyways okay going back to this okay so 10 to 13 years old you do a t- Beit talmud now at this time again the rabbi look at the remaining kids and say you guys i don't think you should move on to the next stage because you know it's not i'm not expecting to be the top of the top but you should go home and continue the business that your father has or you know, become a mother or whatever. So there's a smaller group now. And this small group moves on to the next stage which is called Beit Midrash. When I said Midrash to my wife because I was talking about this yesterday, she was like, it seems like there's like a rash in your midsection. It's called Midrash, okay. Beit Midrash <laughs> um, This is where you start learning how to interpret scripture. So up until now, you're not allowed to interpret anything. You have to know it inside out before you start interpreting. And so at age 13, when you were considered to be an adult at this point, right? It's kind of like applying for college. Or what you do is, you you say, like, I want to go to that college, I want to go to that college, I want to go to that college. So you start sending applications. It was similar to that. You find out who your favorite rabbi is so it's not your local rabbi there's famous rabbis back then that you want to follow so you'll go and find that rabbi that you're looking for and you go to that rabbi and said i want to be your follower i want to be your disciple what do i have to do to be part of your group your little posse what do i have to do and then at that point the rabbi will start asking questions and there are questions about the old testament the thing you've been studying your entire life and so they'll ask questions like okay well there's this verse and there's that verse and it seems contradictory, how, do you, how would you interpret this? And so you're like, okay, this is the first time in my life I'm at being asked to interpret scripture. I think, and you start telling them what you think your philosophy is in terms of interpreting scripture, right? And then at that point, the rabbi will look at that potential disciple and say, "Hmm, that does not line up with what I believe. So I'm sorry, I can't be my disciple. By the way, the way that a rabbi interprets scripture was called a yoke, right? And so you want to see whose yoke can you follow the most? Do you really fit into? That was the question, right? So, so here is a rabbi. You come and like your whole childhood, like I don't know, in your bedroom you have these posters of rabbis that you, you idolized your whole life, right? You're like, you look at the poster of like, you know, rabbis illustrated and you're like, that's the rabbi. I'm going to be just like, I want to be like rabbi whatever, you know? And you have his shoes and everything. Okay, and... and and then one day you see him walking into your town, and you're like, okay, this is my chance. You know, I made it through my th- my, the three stages of education. I'm the top of the top, and you go to that rabbi, and, you, and he starts ta- You're like, okay, and you're shaking. You're like, okay, I want to be your disciple. Ask me anything. Come on, just ask me. And they ask you some questions, and these are really tough questions. None of us will probably pass, right? And then you do your best to answer. At that point, if the rabbi looks at you and says, oh, this kid has a lot of potential, I want this kid to be my, my disciple. At that point, the rabbi would say these words, which means, come follow me. If the rabbi looks at the kid and says, I don't think you have what it takes, he would say, go home and continue on your father's business. That was the system in which that they grew up in. Okay, now let's look at Luke chapter 5. One day, as Jesus was standing by the Lake, uh, lake Gennesaret, that's Sea of galilee they have different names for that lake the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of god so jesus shows up and there's a whole crowd jesus is a rabbi everybody's listening to everything jesus is saying right he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets people t- t- typically they go fishing when the sun's not out that's the best way to catch fish i assume i don't know i'm not a fisherman right But the fact that they're washing their nets means that they're already cleaning up. They're finishing up the day. They're like, okay, I'm just washing my nets because I'm done for the day. Okay, so that's what's going on here. Whoever these fishermen were, they're done with their fishing for the day. Next verse. He got into uh, one of the boats and one belonging to Simon, that's the character we're talking about today, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. So now we know who these boats belong to, who the people who are washing these nets. His name is Simon. Now. Let's, let's, some scholars think that Simon at this point is 18 years old. Now, let's, let's, let's see how this works out. Simon is a fisherman. What does that mean? He was continuing on his father's trade. What does that mean? That he didn't make the cut. What does that mean? At one point in his life, he was going to the synagogue day after day to become one day a disciple of a rabbi. But he didn't make the cut i don't know at what point in the education system he got cut off right but whatever the case is he got cut off he didn't make the team he didn't make the cut he was not the top of the top he was somewhere in the middle to the end that's the system in which that peter was was living in that's that's the world that he was living in okay now let's see what happens next when he had finished speaking this is jesus he said to simon put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch so Jesus is on a boat not too far from the shore, and he's teaching to everybody because that's the best way to teach people, I guess, right? And then after he finished his teaching, which is, I don't know, I don't know how long Jesus' sermons were. If it was anything like mine, it's like 30 to 40 minutes, right? And, but after he finished, so remember, they finished the fishing day, right? They are washing their nets, and now he's being pushed out into the water 40 minutes after. Okay, so this is way beyond after fishing peak time, okay? So there's no way they could catch fish at this time. So Simon is wondering, like, what is going on here? Okay, Jesus, you might be, like, a really smart guy. I mean, you're a rabbi. Like, you must, you must know the scriptures inside and out, and you have all the respect of the world. In chapter 4, you healed my mother, so I'm pretty un- uh, sure that you're somebody special. But when it comes to fishing, I know how that works. You know, like, when you see somebody that's better than you, and you're, like, getting kind of uncomfortable, insecure, but you always hang on to that one thing that you're better at, like, oh yeah, where you well, well, I'm good at video games, you know. Like, <laughs> it's like you can cook, and you bought roses for your love, you know. Like, uh, uh, well, well, I know how to fix a car, you know. Like, you hold on to that one thing that you're better than everybody else at, right? So this is Peter, Simon, who's like looking at the situations like you could heal my mom, and and you gave a great sermon, and you have this big following. Well, well, I can fish, you know. Right? <laughs> Next verse. Simon answered, Master. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, this is the moment where Simon's like, Watch, I'm going to show Jesus that I'm actually better at him than at this one thing, this one thing that I'm hanging on to. Right? So, here we go. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So, they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink okay so okay now let me ask you a question at this point if somebody who's better at you than, ever, than anything you've ever seen before comes to you and says hey i'm going to teach you how to fish right and he does a great job so much that you catch more fish than you've ever caught in your entire life what is the proper response to that maybe a curse word would be in order right like what the right or you're like whoa you know whatever whatever it might be right But I want you to pay attention to Simon's response. Okay, take a look at this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. Now, let's be honest. How many people would actually respond this way? And why did Peter, Simon Peter, why did he respond this way? Well, it's probably because in the previous chapter, he saw Jesus do some miraculous things, and he's putting the two and two together, and he's realizing God is at work right now god is at work right now and i was kind of resistant to it oh my goodness i'm such, I'm such in such a big trouble I'm, I'm in trouble I, I need to okay jesus just get away from me now if you watch those like jesus films you know where like jesus has like crazy hair and then he has like a miss american pageant sash you know and he's like super white right <laughs> yeah right like peter is usually like on the knees on his knees he's like lord just get away from me I like to imagine the scene like, ah, get away from me, Jesus, get away. Because he's like, I think I'm, 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 like, I'm totally screwed. Like this, this is something I don't want. This is what's going on here. Peter is like, God is at work and I was resistant to his work. I'm in deep trouble. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They were astonished at what Jesus just did there's one thing that they could do better than anybody else was fish and Jesus just showed him up next verse then Jesus said to Simon don't be afraid because you know he was super afraid and uh, from now on you'll fish for people what Jesus is really saying here is this he's saying do you see what I just did right there I'm willing to take you under my wings and teach you how to do how I did just what I just did but we're not going to do that with fish we're going to do that with people This is Jesus' way of saying, come, follow me. So what's his response to that? Verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Now, if this were to happen to anybody else, let's just say you're Simon's parents. You're like, dude, some 30-year-old dude just came by and took my kid away. (laughs) There's something wrong with this, right? (laughs) No, no, in that culture... Okay, just imagine. So right now in this story, we see three people being taken away by Jesus, right? Zebedee, the father, would go home, go to his wife and say, guess what, honey? He's like, what? Our boys aren't here today. It's like, I can see that. It's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Our boys are not here today. What do you mean? Our boys didn't come home with me today because a rabbi came by. And then the mom would be like, wait, are you telling me? He's like, yeah, that's right. He's like, really? He's like, yes. You mean, even though they didn't finish education, Yes, there's a rabbi out there that thinks that, that our boys has what it takes to be a disciple of this rabbi. It's like, "Oh, no what? Yeah, yeah." And I could almost imagine the next day they go fishing, right? Um, Zebedee goes out and he's looking at his friends, you know fishing on the piers on the side. And he's like. Oh, I guess it's another day to fish. Oh, where are my boys? Oh, they're not here. I wonder what happened to my boys. Oh, that's right. A rabbi came by. Oh, yeah. I'm like, it's something to brag about because this is like the big break that everybody's been waiting for. You know, today we're like, oh, we want to be a celebrity. I want to be a big shot. Back then, they wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, right? But here's the thing. In the very first story that we see Jesus approach Peter and then Peter responding, we see a big fail moment. The one thing that Peter thought he could do really, really well is a thing that he doesn't do well in, and Jesus shows him up on that. So my question is this, and this relates to the first thing that I brought up in this message too, is this, why does God choose faulty people? If we're all honest with ourselves, we would admit that we have some faults in our lives. Sometimes, some days, bigger than others. Especially when we compare who we know us to be with what we think the other people to be, when we compare ourselves to that image, we feel like, yeah, I, I, I got nothing. I might be good at some things, but those are just gifts. It doesn't say who I am. Deep down inside, I'm broken, right? Why does God choose faulty people? And then, you know, you're like, Katz, maybe you're being too harsh on Peter. Like, maybe he's not that bad a guy. Like, maybe he's, maybe he, this was just one bad story out of the dozens of good things he's done. It's like, well, I take issue with that. Let me share with you some stories of how Peter uh, lived his life, okay? So let's take a look. Now, the next part of the sermon, I'm going to be looking at the book of Matthew because if I pick verses from Luke, then when I get there, we have nothing to talk about. So we're going to be, talking, we're going to be picking out some examples from the book of Matthew, and you'll find out in almost every chapter, you'll see a fail moment on Peter. Okay, so let's take a look. Chapter 14. Um, Peter, at the, in this scene, is on a boat, and he sees Jesus walking on water. What? Yeah. And then he looks at him and says, Lord, if it is you on the water, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. So Peter's like, I'm going to take a step of faith. I think I can do what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is like, oh, okay, come, he said. Next verse. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began beginning, uh, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. So the first act of faith that Peter tries to do as a disciple He fails. Okay, well, at least you tried, right? I mean, you get points for that. Okay, sure. Well, here's another story. In the very next chapter, Jesus is preaching a parable. You know, it's like a story that has a hidden meaning to it. And after Jesus finishes his parable, nobody knows what it means. And so all the twelve disciples are huddling, like, wait, did you get what Jesus just said? It's like, I don't know. And Peter, at this point, is like, wait a minute. My mom taught me that there's no bad questions so i'm gonna ask jesus a question right so verse uh, chapter 15 verse 15 he says this peter said explain the parable to us jesus i have a question for you and he's in his mind he's thinking i'm gonna get some bonus points from jesus because i'm the i'm it's gonna show that i was listening you know and it's gonna show that i'm curious and i want to learn so i'm gonna ask this question please jesus explain this parable to us and he's expecting in return a a response he's like i'm so glad you asked because i didn't think anybody else here got what that parable is about jesus response are you still so dull? <laughs> Jesus asked them, fail. <laughs> In chapter 16, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples and Jesus asked his disciples a question. This is chapter 16. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do say the son of man, like his nickname is the son of man. He's like, who are these people saying that I am? So the disciples replied, some say you're John the Baptist. Others say Elijah and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus is like, okay, I heard that before, but my curiosity is in what you think. What about you? What do you think about me? Who do you say that I am? And so all the disciples are like, oh, okay. And Peter's like, I know the answer. I know the answer. I'm, I'm going to raise my hand. Next verse. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Good job. And he's like, yeah, finally, yes. He's, he, at this point, Jesus is probably thinking, I'm so glad I picked you as my first disciple. Yes. So he's expecting like like a pat on the back, saying like, hey, you know, um, you've been studying heaven too. Good job, right? That's, that's what he's thinking. But continuing this verse, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by Father in heaven. It's like, yeah, and that answer you just gave was not your own. Somebody just told you the answer, and that's probably God, so you don't get credit for that. A few verses after that, Jesus starts teaching them about what's going to happen soon in, you know, in his life, right? He says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He's like, Disciples, I've got to tell you something. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to suffer for a while, okay? But don't worry, I'll come back to life in three days. Peter's like, You know what a true disciple would do at this point? I'm going to show Jesus that I care. I'm going to show Jesus that I'm the best of the 12. So this is what he does, verse 22. Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. So he's, I can just imagine, he's like, Jesus, come, come over here. And he puts his it hands like, hey, hey, Jesus, you know, um, you know you were, I was your first disciple, right? And I'm just going to let you know, I'm never, ever, ever going to let this happen to you because, you know, I'm your man. I got your back, right? So he says, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. I got your back, Jesus, I'll, I'll, I'll die with you. I'll do everything I can to make sure that you're going to be fine because I'm on your side, right? I know this morning you woke up and you thought, I'm so glad Peter's on my team. Sp- Pete, I'm so glad you're on my team. Jesus' response. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan! <laughs> so you are, stu- you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is the exact opposite of what Peter thought he would get in return. He, he's like get behind me satan yeah <laughs> you know at this point peter was probably like you know a simple no would have been fine <laughs> 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 my ego just yeah <laughs> my, my self-image just went down just a few notches <laughs> he could have been like no peter It's <laughs> like no get behind me satan there's a whole great teaching behind this and i'll get to that eventually okay um chapter 17 here's another story okay uh let's take a look at the next story After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him to a high high mountain by themselves. So Jesus has 12 disciples, and he narrowed it down to three and took the three. So leaving the nine right there, he's like, the three of you, come with me. I want to have, like, a secret meeting with you. It's like, oh, that's cool. Okay. So Peter's like, I'm part of the three. I'm so happy. Okay. (laughs) There he was transfigured before them. Jesus all of a sudden changes his form. Here's a quick description of that. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Just then, there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. As a child who studied the Old Testament, Peter is like, these are the two greatest heroes of the Old Testament. My man, Moses, Elijah, talking to my rabbi, Jesus. Oh, this is so great. This is like the trifecta. This is the, right? You're like, (laughs) so at this point, Peter's like, I got to say something because this is such a great moment. I got to be a part of this somehow, you know, because Peter wants to impress Jesus, right? So you know that moment where you speak up and you really don't know what you're saying, but you just feel like you have to say something? That's what happens to Peter here. Next verse. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is uh, good for us to be here. And if you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, the next verse is the funny part. I love this part, okay? Because, okay, let's take a look. It says, while he was still speaking. So Peter's like, ah, he's still talking, right? And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud covered them. So now Peter's like, I can't see, I can't see. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. He's like, Peter, let me cut you off. Stop talking, just listen. It's a holy moment, man. Just don't ruin it. <laughs> you know, somebody's going to write this down on their, on their biography of Jesus called the book of Luke, and you're going to be totally embarrassed what we just did, but yeah. Again, fail. <laughs> Peter's trying so hard to impress Jesus. In every step of the way, every effort he puts out, he kind of misses the mark. A few chapters later, or maybe one chapter later, um, Peter's talking to his friends, you know, his disciples. He's like, hey, uh, you know, Andrew, whoever, you know, just remind me. Uh, how many times am I supposed to forgive my, 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 my friend who's wronged me? It's like, well, our culture says three times. After three times, you don't have to forgive him anymore. It's like, okay, thanks. He goes to Jesus. And this, is, this is a conversation he has with Jesus. Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sinned against me? It's like, if somebody sins against me, how many times am I supposed to forgive that person? I know that, you know, people are saying three times. Well, how about this? up to seven times i don't want to just double it jesus i want to add one more to it like i could forgive up to seven times bam he's probably thinking jesus is like wow wow pete you didn't just double it you you, you, that that's amazing that you are such a great person nope that's not what happens next verse jesus answered i tell you not seven times but 77 times (laughs) it's like that's it seven pete come on you could do better than that (laughs) again fail I feel, do you guys feel bad for him? No, not yet? Because I have more stories. (laughs) Okay, so this, then the day of his arrest happens. Jesus gets arrested this day, and he knows it's happening, right? And so he's, Jesus is preparing his disciples that, hey, pretty soon some guards are going to come and take me away. He's preparing his disciples. This is that scene right here. Jesus told his disciples, this very night, you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the, sh- and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. So Jesus is like, look, what is about to happen is going to be very tragic, but it's been foretold in the past. This is part of prophecy, so you yeah, have nothing to worry about. Everything's going to turn out okay. That when they come in and arrest me, and they nail me to the cross, y- all you guys are going to scatter, and that's just how it is. Peter is like... No, no, no. I'm going to make Jesus proud that he picked me first. Okay, this is what I'm going to do. So, Peter. Peter replied, Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Jesus' response, Truly I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. All the other guys are going to disown me once by running away. You're going to disown me three times. Oy. So, let's see. Uh, <laughs> so that night Jesus goes into the garden of uh, Gethsemane and he's praying and he brings his inner circle the three of them with him and he says wait right here I'm going through a really tough time right now I'm going to go over there just a few feet away to pray on my own can you be praying for me over here while I'm over there praying the three are like you can count on us Lord yeah yeah we, we are your number one disciples yeah, yeah, well, yeah okay so Jesus goes right and Jesus returns after praying and this is what he sees Jesus returned to his disciples and found them sleeping sleeping couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour dude all i asked for was 60 minutes of staying awake and you couldn't even do that again fail over and over and over fail 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 eventually the guards come to jesus they take him away and he's going through a trial and it's a totally skewed trial people are accusing jesus of things that he didn't even do okay and so he's now being found guilty meanwhile all the disciples have scattered just as jesus said except for peter peter's like i'm not going to run away so he tries to he's following jesus from afar and he gets to the courtyard in front of the place where jesus is on trial and he's waiting there thinking like okay i'm going to be the one that's going to stick around and this is what happens in that scene now Peter was sitting at, on the, uh, on, uh, out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. So he denies Jesus. He's like, I, uh, Jesus followed me? No, 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 that's not me. Next verse. Then he went out uh, to the gateway where another servant girl, and this word girl really means to you, it was like a little girl, okay? saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. Oath meaning, I swear to God. Like, before God, he's like, I'm not lying. And he totally is. I don't know the man. Denial number two. And then, finally, denial number three. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Meaning, he was from the region of Galilee and they had a specific type of accent in their speech, and so they're like, no, you're from that area. You must be one of them, right? Then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them. He starts bleeping, okay? He's like, no, I don't know this guy, right? I don't know the man. Immediately, a rooster crowed, and at that point, Peter's like, Jesus told me this was going to happen. Next verse. Then Peter remembered the uh, the words that Jesus spoke. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times, and he went outside and wept Bitterly. The word weep right there is not like, <laughs> this is like, <laughs> like this ugly cry. <laughs> because at that point, he realized what a failure he was. Almost every chapter in the book of Matthew, Peter is described as somebody who tries hard but, could, but always misses the mark. So again, I ask this question Why does God choose faulty people? A translation of that would be, Why does God choose me? What does he see in me? What does he see in you? I don't know how messed up you are, but I'm sure you do. And if you're like, no, I'm all that in a bag of chips, no, then humility, that's your problem. You need to work on that, right? We're all faulty people, okay? And, and as I read through the Gospels, they don't really give you an answer. But you start finding the answer in the next book over, That Luke wrote okay which is the sequel to the book of Luke which is called the book of Acts and we're not going to go into that because I already showed you a lot of slides and you're probably tired okay but this is I'm going to give you the answer right now the reason why God chooses faulty people is because Jesus sees you as you are but he also sees your potential Um, you've heard me say this before God loves you so much he loves you just the way you are he accepts you the way you are you don't have to have it made right but because he loves you so much he doesn't want to keep you the way you are Jesus sees your potential. So Simon, the reason his name changes to Peter in this story is because Jesus. Peter is the name that Jesus gave him. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Simon. Shema means to listen, Simon, okay? You're the one that who listens. And he says, from now on, your name is no longer Simon. Your name is going to be Peter, which means what? It means rock. You're going to be the rock or rocky or whatever. You know, it's like, you're going to be rock. Why? Because you're going to be a foundation. You're going to be so instrumental into the movement that i'm starting right now and peter's like me i'm a fisherman i i failed classes i I, what do you mean me but as we find out as we read through the book of acts this is what you discover whenever people are looking for answers they always come to peter they're like you you followed jesus for three years right like yeah well you were the first disciples like yes well we're this here's this issue what do we what should we do about it and peter will be the one that people seek out okay um we also discover by the way if you like to eat meat you could thank peter for that because up until then there were dietary laws and peter is the one that said uh, you know I, I, was, I was listening to jesus and he was telling me that meat is actually not unclean like up until now we thought the food that we eat qualified or disqualified us for being in favor with god but what I've learned over the years is that it's not what we eat, what we put into our mouths that make us unclean. It's the, the corruptness in our hearts that make us unclean. So I think we can eat whatever we want. But if you're eating food to make other people angry, like there's like a vegetarian, you're like eating food, you know, like, it's like then, then that's corruption. You don't want to do that. But, like, but I think we're able to eat whatever we want to eat. So if, if you like to eat meat, if you like barbecue, then, then you have Peter to thank, right? Uh, Peter contributes to the Bible by including two of his letters. He has such wisdom that people thought, hey, whatever Peter writes, we need to put it in the Bible. I mean, did you know that he discipled people eventually? He discipled people, and one of the people he discipled was a guy named Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark, right? Peter made major contributions to this movement of of Jesus, right? By the way, most of us here are not Jews. The reason why most of us can be called followers of God today is because someone named Peter fought for the rights of people who are not Jews. Peter said, I think Gentiles... God could work through him just as much as the people over here. He fought for equality. He said God could love somebody not based on the race, not because of their gender, not because of any of that, but just because God is God and God is love. I believe that God loves everybody equally. Where did that come from? That came from Peter. Well, it came from Jesus, but it was Peter who was talking about it, right? A fisherman who didn't even make it to Beit Talmud, or Midrash, whatever, you know, whatever. I don't know at what point he dropped out, that guy, that kid, eventually becomes one of the core leaders of the movement of Jesus. And remember that thing that Jesus said? He said, if you come follow me, I'll make you into fishers and men. Remember that? Well, that boat, remember that boat that they were fishing in, they brought it two boats and they filled it with fish and they started sinking? Well, in 1986, they discovered in the Sea of Galilee a boat, and they think that this is, and they dated it back to the first century, so they don't know if this is the exact boat that they used. Okay, but it was similar to the boat, and this is a picture of it. Okay, um, and so it's that big. The question back then when they found this boat was, can you really fit 13 people, Jesus and the 12 disciples? And it turns out you can, right? That's how big this thing is. And they were able to fill two of these with fish so much that it started to sink. And so Peter seeing that right and then jesus telling him i'm going to teach you how to do this but not with fish but with people which doesn't mean i'm going to put you on a boat and make it sink you know it it means i'm going to make you such a such an important person in this movement of god that i'm going to make it so you're going to catch so many people captivate them by the love of god in the book of luke it says that when peter gave his first sermon over three thousand people came to know who Jesus was, experienced the love of God for the very first time. Wow. Who knew that the person who had fail after fail after fail after fail after, fail after 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 fail could accomplish such great things. Why? Because Jesus, while he loved the person that Simon Peter was at the time, he also saw the potential of the way he could contribute to, to the kingdom of God in the future. Maybe the best way of putting this is, remember that kickball analogy I gave you guys saying that I was never the first to get picked? Maybe the best way to put it is this way. Jesus is picking members for his kickball team. He's not looking for the person who kicked the furthest. He's looking for the one that he looks and says, we may not win this game, but Peter, I'm going to pick you because you are going to eventually coach the biggest kickball team, the most successful kickball team that you've ever seen in your life. Jesus picks Peter for the person he is and who he will become. I think in our society today, we're too quick to judge, right? We, we judge each other, we judge ourselves. A lot of times the reason why we disqualify ourselves from following God is because we get in our own way. We look at ourselves and say, God, I'm not good enough, so I'm just gonna step aside and let the people who are better at this take care of it. No, Jesus would say, no, don't disqualify yourself. Peter almost disqualified himself, but I'm glad that Jesus caught him before he actually did. If you don't believe in yourself, Jesus is saying, you may not see it yet, but I see some great potential that even you don't see it. You don't see it yet. I I believe in you. If you can't believe in yourself, I'll believe in you. I see great potential in you. So what are the things that's holding you back? God wants to do amazing works in your lives, and a lot of times we get in the way of that. We disqualify ourselves. Or maybe it's other people. Other people say, well, because you're a certain way, because you're a certain race, or maybe because you are a certain, you know, you have a certain tendencies, or you, cannot, you're, you don't qualify for God's plan. Jesus would say, no, that's not true. Everybody qualifies for God's love. This is why God picks faulty people. God is not looking at us, he's not looking at me and saying like, oh, man, I can't believe Kotz is on my team. Oh, come on, like, I didn't want you on my team. No, he's not saying that, he's saying... I see where you are right now but just hang on because i'm going to take you on this crazy ride where one day you're i'm going to use you in some amazing ways that's going to bring love and peace and harmony and love to all people that's what it means to be a disciple is to let the master mold you and shape you so you can become the person that god intended you to be in the first place so what is holding you back what makes you just feel like you're disqualified from god's plan if it's your view of yourself every time you look in the mirror, you see somebody you don't like, then maybe it's time that we don't look in the mirror, but we look at God and ask Him what He sees in us. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray.